I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi folks, welcome back to the Grand Isle History Pod on Celtic Fanzine TV and on audio on the Celtic Soul Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button and feel free to leave a comment if you like what you hear or if you don't like what you hear. We welcome all comments as long as they're not rude, racist or sectarian. And once again, folks, please, please, please hit the subscribe and follow button if you're listening on the audio on Celtic Soul Podcast. And that's available across all platforms, Spotify, Acast, Apple, whatever your preferred platform is. Please give us a follow. And all the podcasts and our video content is still available on CelticFanzine.com. And I'm joined this week on the Grand Owl History Pod by writer and teacher Paddy Menemon. Paddy penned a long read for the latest issue of More Than 90 Minutes, issue 117, which comes out later in the week. And his piece was on Celtic in Europe. And that's why I've asked you, Paddy, along to the Grand Owl History, because you have a good history yourself following Celtic in Europe, you know a lot about Celtic in Europe, and I suppose ahead of uh, Thursday's game against Bayer Leverkusen, which I know you'll be attending, and a welcome return for you to Paradise. So Paddy, um, let's just kick off with how you kicked off the article in the latest more than 90 minutes. You, The first paragraph, you kick off with AX at home in Martin O'Neill's uh, First big season in Europe after we'd done the treble. Now, back then, we had top managers and top players coming up from the English Premiership to Scotland. Not so much now, Paddy, but um, some magnificent adventures under Martin O'Neill with the likes of Larson, Thompson, Hartson and Sutton scoring some wonderful goals. Um, so take us back to that, that time, Paddy. Hi Andy. Um, yeah, the 2001, I suppose. Um, you know, we went through 
two decades now. Um, the, I mean, since we played Real Madrid in the quarterfinal in 1980, and without an early 3-2, I mean, the next 20 years uh, were desperate, you know, and uh, it was first round exit more or less every year, you know. It, um, and, you know, just when I thought about Penn in the article, um, you were talking about it was, you, it was your 20th um, anniversary of the, of the fanzine, and it, it, it brought us back to 2001, and Martin O'Neill had arrived, and you know we 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 uh, got a league title and qualified or on the verge of qualifying for the Champions League now, which was the holy grail. I mean, we had watched for ten years, and you know um, the Champions League music coming on and Zadok the Priest, and you know watching, um, unfortunately watching, you know. The, the best of Europe, the good and the great, and we weren't part of it, you know. And and then uh, we went to AX that night, and uh, I'm watching on TV, um, thinking maybe this is going to, you know, we probably won't get through this, but Bobby Petta, um he played the game of his life, you know, and 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 we romped home 3 1, and, and, and you know, it, it looked, you know, he just felt, God, we're, we're in the Champions League, but, you know, what Celtic are like. And we come back um, to the home game. And uh, I was still living in, in, in Donegal at the time. And uh, uh, me and a, and a friend, we went over on the on the the Mad Supporters bus, you know, leaving at 4 a.m. from Letterkenny. And I think there might have been seven buses traveling at that time. Like, it was incredible. And uh, you're arriving in Glasgow at lunchtime and spending the day, and then into the match. And um, the the you just felt, you know, this is it. You know, we maybe beat them two 0 at home, but of course, you know, being Celtic, you know, and the the tore up the script, and Ajax scored after ten minutes, and was spent the next eighty minutes, and. Um, the, I don't bite my fingernails, but I was I was tempted that night, and was up in the top of the north stand, and nerve wracking. You know, if I had a score in, God knows what would have happened in that. But as we get into the last ten minutes, I just uh, you know, you just felt this surge of energy around the stadium, and, and um, it was a bit like the stopping the ten in a row, and the, the north stand was rocking and. And it was just a crescendo of noise as, as we played out the few minutes and the whistle went and, and we realised we are in the Champions League for the first time, you know. And it was just, it was an amazing experience, you know, to actually, that we'd made it into the, this was only getting into the group stages, but I mean, it was Celtic's first time, you know, and it was just brilliant. Yeah, and it was the chance, Paddy, of... Uh you know, three big nights in, in, in Celtic Park with the elite of Europe and also three opportunities for the fans to, to get into Europe and, and enjoy themselves abroad. But I, I was at the Betis game, Paddy, um, a couple of weeks ago and back in Seville for the first time since 2003, which was probably, I suppose, the pinnacle of Europe under Martin O'Neill. Uh, my wildest dreams during the 90s, I never thought we'd, we'd see Celtic in the European final, but the locals, you get into a taxi with a Celtic top on, your T-shirt with the crest on, 
the locals are talking Celtic. You know, even if if their English is poor, you go to bars, Celtic, Celtic to Glasgow. Um, they haven't forgotten right. about us, and even younger ones. I was talking to a young fan, perfect English, and she was saying that you know, it's the stuff of legend. When 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 Celtic came to Seville, they were ended in heartbreak. But yeah. what a magnificent um, journey that that season as well as as that first season in the Champions League, because in the Champions League that year as well, of course we had we had a visit to Valencia and that fabulous old stadium, crumbling old stadium. So yeah, under O'Neill, it was just. Um, an amazing journey, Paddy, and I think back as well to going to the old Olympic Stadium in Munich uh, and losing through uh, a goalkeeping error. I think it was Magnus Hedman after Thompson had had scored. So yeah, there's been so many uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, occasions in Europe, but Seville was probably the one that we remember yes. fondly for the build-up and probably for the heartbreak because I've never watched a game by. Yeah, the I have it on an old VHS somewhere, but um, it uh, yeah, I mean Seville was the pinnacle, you know. It um, for whatever reason I didn't get over to Blackburn or or the Liverpool game, but after the beat Liverpool, or maybe before it, or maybe after we were over at Stuttgart, and. Uh, I just took a notion that they might get to the final and and and, um, and tried for tickets. And if you remember, there was a UEFA did a um, a ballot. Was it that year or first come first? I can't remember. But you could go. You went on early to apply for them. And I was at work and uh, got my boss and I gave him the the, the email or whatever. And, and he tried all day from it and made him fairly friendly. And he. He came out and he says that must be the wrong uh, web address or whatever. And it turned out that um, because so many Celtic fans were looking for tickets, the website crashed. And it opened up again at 6 a.m. the next morning. Uh, and I know a guy up in Donegal, he was a Liverpool guy, and he and he got tickets the next morning. Ticket. There was a chance of getting tickets, but I missed them. And we went there with no tickets and spent a week in the Algarve with my grandson and Mary and the and drove up to Seville, and, and sure, it was an amazing, it was an amazing experience, you know. And uh, despite the result, we had our car parked at the at the stadium, and uh, Mary, you know, there was a few, I suppose, a few imperatives, you know. So she says, "We're just sleep sleep in the car, you know. You can't drive." And she was tired, and so we were sitting in the car, and I, uh, you know, at uh, uh, presume I've told, but I. I just said I'm going to stroll over to the stadium, and and I mean I never would wear a, a top, you know. I just don't, you know. And, and but I did that night, one of the old white tops, uh, and um, I just strolled in through a door, and I kept walking, and ended up in this uh, uh, lounge bar, whatever. And there at the bar was Jack McGinn and uh, Brian Wilson, the MP, and. Uh, and the barman says to me, you, you like a drink? And he gave me a Prosecco or something. And, and uh, there was a manager came along. And, um, I think she said like, to me, what are, you, what are you doing in here? It was, it was where they, all the officials, all the, the top UEFA guys had their dinner before the match. 
but I, I, I just uh, and the prosecco was flowing, and uh, they were taking down a big poster, a big six foot poster off off the final. And Brian Wilson says, "What do you do?" He says, "I'm done." She gave him one, and she gave me the other one, which I have, which I have somewhere. You know, it was a nice memento, you know. But uh, so when we were flooding <laughs> out of the stadium, you were going in. <laughs> I, I, I just I've never done anything like it in my life, you know. And uh, and I just I just strolled about, you know. And uh, and again, the barman was great, and uh, uh, an older barman and. He brought me around and he gave me a, I have a bag of stuff like uh, uh, programs and the president's address at the dinner and a load of stuff. And he, and he filled a bag of stuff for me and I pulled off the top as I was leaving and, uh, and I said, are you a young boy? And I said, give him the top. And um, as I was walking around, a, a guy came along in a golf buggy and it turned out he was a Dutch TV guy. And I uh, he said, "Jump in, I'll give you." Any, and he drove me over to the car. You know, it was it was amazing. And uh, with a few hours sleep, and um, drove down to Algarve in the morning. You know, yeah, there was there was just there was so many wonderful memories um, of that O'Neill era in Europe. Um, even though there was nothing won, um, Liverpool away was a fantastic result. Um, and well, then- Liverpool was uh, sorry, sorry for Liverpool. I mean, was was one of the best nights ever, and I organised. You, you know what it's like in Ireland, and um, you know, you know they're all full of the nonsense about the English Premier. So, would maybe have been a well, everybody would be would be you know would like Celtic, but they'd all support Man United and Liverpool and all that nonsense. So there were six Liverpool guys and me and another Celtic guy, and we arranged to go to the pub in Letterkenny to watch the match and uh, with a wee bet on and all you know and of course they were expecting this was going to be easy and of course big hearts and uh, you know I'm sure it blew the roof of the place you know and and, and uh, you can imagine uh, I just didn't talk for a while but it was, it was it was good fun you know Yeah Paddy I was lucky enough to be in the stadium that night in the centenary stand with the Liverpool fans and when the final whistle went um, I wasn't alone. There was a lot of Celtic yeah. fans. There was a lot of Celtic fans, you know. I always remember Je- Jerry Brady getting getting um, put out of the, of the when we scored. He jumped up, and Jerry from Nave Park uh, lives lives in Scotland now. A very famous um, Celtic fan from Dublin, and okay. they were putting Jerry out. And, and I, was, I just said to Jerry, "Don't even look at me. Don't even look at me when you get because because I was sitting coy." Um, so I yeah, know. it was. Um, and I know someone got chinned, a Celtic fan got chinned. I seen him with the black guy later. Uh, he was in the cop right. and he jumped up and he ended up getting chinned. But I held me, uh, I kept I myself quite till the final whistle. But like under O'Neill, we we thought anything was possible in Europe because it was also there yes, the sir. night in the new camp when we knocked the, the, the great Barcelona out of, out of Europe and we thought, you know, maybe yes, we were going to a final. But we came up against Villarreal in the next round and, and I suppose that was it. But even further on, then you know there has been, you know, so many, so many great nights. Uh, I suppose the one in Celtic Park on the hundred and twenty fifth anniversary when the Green Brigade done the display, which the club yeah. were happy to uh, use in that in pictures, even though they they didn't give them credit for it. But um, that was that was a special night and probably, you know, a memory that will stay. Um, 
fresh in everyone's mind. Um, again, I didn't. Um, I didn't get over that night. Uh, I was actually up in Donegal with my my daughter, me, and my grandkids. Watched it. Um, I think I was doing final exams or something, and the masters or something. I, you know, I went back to college, and uh, but my. Um, funny enough, my my grandson Oshin, who we lost in later years, he lost interest in football, and yet every photo you see of him um, when he was a kid, you know, he's he's got a Celtic top on, and that. But my granddaughter, who was only, um, uh, oh God, what age was she? Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, so when when uh, when we scored the two goals, of course, I let a, a roar out of me, you know. <laughs> and ever since that, I think uh, you know she's the only one of them. Uh, and every time you see her, she's in Sligo IT now. She, she'll have a Celtic top on, you know. She's twenty now, you know. But um, it's sort of a it's, it's sort of a converted her, you know. And uh, just come back a second to Villarreal. Um, I was over at the home game. And again, like the previous year, well, this year you actually felt super confident that we would get to the final after beating Barcelona. And uh, but this year, UEFA had a different. I think it was first come, first served. I know the two years was a different method of distributing the tickets, and I popped off the email and didn't I get two tickets for Gothenburg for the final? And confident that we'll get to the final, and of course we didn't. And I think Newcastle were in a semi, the semi final. And I actually, I contacted a, a radio station in Townsend and told them, you know, there was two tickets if they wanted to raffle them or something, you know. And um, but uh, they ended up they, they didn't have they, they still have the tickets somewhere in a box, you know. But um, and alas, no more final since, you know. No, but Paddy, you've you've been. Um, I suppose the article is is an excellent article because it's wrote from a personal point of view. But you also delve in to uh, the history of Celtic in Europe before you started to go to see Celtic in Europe. So can you just take us back and give the the listeners and the viewers maybe a little insight into those early years when Celtic, when when European competition started and Celtic yeah, started yeah. their journey. It, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it was about, I mean, I didn't go over until Benfica in, in uh, November 69. So, I mean, Celtic made their first, dipped their feet into Europe in 64. So it was five years earlier. And um, they played Valencia, um, uh, apparently in the, in the first game, lost 6-4 in aggregate. And um, the following year, um or 63, so yeah, and then 64, they got to the semi-final. Amazingly, because, I mean, it was, you know, we were in terrible shape at the time and they lost 3-0 to the cup final, obviously, and, you know, the, um, and they played MTK Budapest in the semi-final, won 3-0 at Parkhead, and, you know, you would take it for granted they were in the final, and, the, of course... Like going to Real Betis last week or so, they they went away and lost, shipped four goals and and, and were out, you know. Um, but uh, they, um, you know, they were they were dipping their feet. They were they were, when they won the cup in '65, which started the whole Jock Steen thing, and uh, 
the following year they got to the semi final again um, against Liverpool. And uh, I'm sure everybody, you know, has seen these clips and know, but you know, but uh, a disallowed goal in the last minute, which would have equalised and put us through. Um, the had knocked us out, you know, a perfectly legit goal from Lennox. And it caused a bit of, and you know, thankfully over the years, we there never been never been much aggro from the Celtic end anywhere to go in Europe, you know, a bit like the Irish fans. But because that when that goal was disallowed, there was problems at Anfield that night, you know, but but never really repeated, you know. Um, I don't need to tell anybody, of course. Then in '67, I mean, it's ingrained in all our in our in our minds, you know. And um, I mean, the run to the final, um, you know, whatever materialized, you know, uh, where it's fate or whether you believe in the magic of Jock Stein or um, it was our time, whatever. But um, going to the final. Uh, you know, um, probably could have lost in the quarterfinal with Ovagina. Um, won the first leg of the semifinal against uh, CSKA, easy enough. And then and El Nilda was, and of course, winning in Lisbon, which needs no, um, doesn't need me to tell any, any, any age of Celtic fan, you know. I mean, it was fantastic. Um, I still hadn't evolved into. Uh, a real Celtic supporter at that stage, I suppose, you know. Like I've told you before, and in Belfast, and uh, we would spend a few years, you know, a friend bringing us over to Glen Torn, which is interesting, you know. So we really hadn't, and it was only then meeting cousins from Clyde Bank and Donegal, and their, and their, their dads and my uncles, and, and they were telling me about, you know, obviously we knew, knew about Celtic, and we actually... March down the falls with tricolors. It was a massive parade after the one, and the famous Jerry Fitt. You know, Jerry Fitt is a Brit. You know, he he was uh, he was up speaking. You know, and he, and he's clenched fist and he says, "We done it." You know, playing to the playing to the audience. You know, but um, he uh, you know. So then, I mean, they were telling me about you know, and, and I just started to get the interest then, maybe in '68 after Lisbon. And then, you know, we went to Dublin to see against Rovers in early 69 and then Benfica um, that November, you know. Uh, I mean, my first year, I have no doubt I can say that it was my best year ever in 50 years as a Celtic supporter, except the, fi- the finale. But, um, I mean, I went over against Benfica, 75,000. It was only in two minutes. Um, Gamel scored from 30 yards uh, Willie Wallace and then Harry Hood uh, made it 3-0 we thought we were through out in Lisbon we could, we'd know it wasn't on TV you know, we didn't know the result to the morning but famously they could beat 3-0 and the ref tossed the coin twice and it hit his boot and rolled along and, and landed on heads that, that, that Caesar had called and they were through and um the next game in March, the quarterfinal against Fiorentina, and I went over and an uncle brought me in, and again, 3-0, you know, and uh, I mean, you know, we weren't feared of anybody, you know, it was incredible. 
And then, I mean, the best night of my life, like at, at Hamden against Leeds in the 136,500. And, um, I mean, I, I just knew that night. I was only 15, but I knew, I don't think, no matter what football game I ever went to. Now, watching Donegal win in Croke Park is nearly up there with anything, but, but um, uh you know, that night at Hamden and Bremner's, we were behind the nets where Bremner scored and and then the second half and Big Yogi and, and well, Murdoch, my favourite, you know, and, and I mean, the stadium was just, I mean, 136,000, I mean, it, it was just unbelievable, you know, it was just a crescendo of noise coming down the terraces and, uh, and um, you know, and of course, you know, typically like, I suppose they do in Ireland the same as they do in Scotland and England. You know, there's these notions, you know, we'd never heard of fan art, so we probably thought they were no good. And, you know, that's that's the way, that seems to be the nature. It's like when the Republic play games against somebody and, and they think, oh, this is easy, and, and, and they get a draw, they don't realise. And fan art were good. And and uh, we were just unlucky. We held out to the last, to the last uh, couple of minutes. You know, if it had went to replay, we couldn't have played as bad again and would probably have won. But Feyenoord won, you know, and and I actually went to see them uh, after the Ibrox disaster. I went over to Hamden uh, and uh, Celtic played Feyenoord in a, in, a, in a match. And it was the first time we'd seen what, what pain to me known as total football, you know. And I remember watching them Van Hannigan and throwing the ball up. You know, I mean, we're, we're used to the to John Fallon or whoever, Simpson, booting the ball up the field. They were throwing it to the right back and pushing it over to the left back. And it was just beautiful football, you know. Um, in 71, we got to the quarterfinal again against Ajax. Again, they took over the mantle from Feyenoord. The Dutch teams won four in a row. And uh, I tried myself and Mickey Kearney, uh, who unfortunately was, was shot dead during the conflict. We thumbed a lift down. We hadn't much money. We thumbed a lift down to Larn. And uh, we're in the back of a lorry. So we got down anyway. And uh, weren't the boats cancelled? So we, we couldn't get over, you know. And uh, But they, they, they won one nil, but they, they, they lost. They were beat, well enough beat out and in uh, Amsterdam, as everybody everybody was, it was no disgrace for the next three years, you know. Um, Paddy, you've, you've um, yeah. I know from speaking to you before, and uh, from all you write about for the for the fanzine, um, you have a love of football, not just selling. You have a love of football, and the way you described the the Dutch game there, um, it was just beautiful. <coughs> I've, I've, I've an image in my head now of of you watching this as a young man, but the 70s took travel away from you, Paddy. Uh, you got involved in the, the conflict in, in the six counties and you were imprisoned in, in Long Cash. So were you still able to, you know, maybe listen to a game on the radio or were you getting your results and, you know, write-ups and that through the mainstream media? Because obviously... Uh, that was a part before. That was early, we'll say, in in the conflict in in the north. So, had you got um, even as a prisoner, had you got um, 
access to, you know, get that, you know, get that little fix of of Celtic, even though you were you weren't able to go. Yeah, the, no, I mean, um, I, it's, I was turned, you know, uh, in '72 when they they got to the semi final against against Inter, you know, and uh, Inter took revenge. Um, and Dixie Deans blasted the ball over the roof of the of the Celtic end, you know, and the, the poor guy scored a ninety three goals for Celtic, and he, he always said nobody ever remembered anything, only the bloody penalty he missed, you know. Um, but we watched it, and uh, we watched it in the cages. One of the few games, you know, what it's like in Ireland, or the way it was in Ireland back in the seventies and eighties. The only thing you seen was was English football. And it was just because it was European semi they showed the Celtic game. We, you, you would you wouldn't see any Celtic games at home, um, or on the radio. My, my wee mate who's dead, my wee Pat McGrath, and it was from party. He used to be able to pick up uh, Radio Clyde, I think, on his car radio. You'd see him on a Saturday, a Saturday afternoon, and he'd be sitting out in the freezing cold with his cup of coffee in the car, and he. Become and he'd be listening on Radio Clayderson, but you know, them years there was just absolutely no coverage. Um, the I mean, we were, we were back in the cages in '74 when we got to the, to the semi final for, for the final time in uh, Atletico Madrid and the fiasco that wasn't it. They finished with eight years and had an, um, the other uh, three sent off and, and the other eight booked, I think. And a battle in the in the in the tunnel, and um, quiet man like Davy Hay apparently punched the head of one of the Madrid players. You know, going up the tunnel, and uh, and but we 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 lost, and that was really the end of our that was really the end of our of our great period in Europe. You know, um, the seventy five. I think the last of the nine in a row. I recall just on the radio in the cages, um, and they gave a wee bit of the radio, but it was all it was all English football, and and, and uh, but I remember them talking about. It. I think it was at Easter Road. It was one. I'm not sure. The um, and uh, you know them years then, you know, um, they were just you know from seventy five. To 80, you know, we played a, a mishmash of teams, you know, that, you know, wouldn't rock the boat anywhere, but we, we were gone, you know, and uh, just in 1980, um, I'd, uh, I'd left uh, the cages days behind, thank God, you know, and uh, but uh, I was to go to the Real Madrid game again, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I was a bit nervous still about about going back north. You know, I was in Donegal and uh, and uh, but uh, I remember going out. My uncle said a wee pub and I got out after uh, football training or something. And my aunt was over. She lived in the Isle of Butte and she wouldn't know much for football, but you know, she uh, she says they did it, they did it, <laughs> and they beat the result that came through. They beat Madrid two 0 You know, which was probably the last. Um, it really was the last hurrah, you know. It was, uh, you know, I mean, it was, I think, 120,000, 80,000 at Parkhead, and I think 120,000 in, in the Barnaby. And, um, 
you know, and it was the last hurrah, really, in Europe, you know. I mean, the rest of the 80s, um, I mean... God, it was uh, it was so it was so um, disheartening. I mean, it when it was a few leagues, a few cups, eighty-five centenary. But every year in Europe, you were getting beat by a team like really top-class teams. Like like uh, I can't even pronounce their names, Temasura or something. <laughs> Sounds like a dessert, you know, in a posh restaurant. Um, uh, you know. Um, uh, Wesley Krakow was it? Um, Zeke, oh, I can't even have the name somewhere there, but uh, you know, every year there was a few great. Uh, the first game I went back to was Real Sociedad in '82, and uh, they went over with two friends, are both dead now, Tony and Pat. And uh, the after the match, Tony brought us to our first Indian restaurant down in down in um, in the Argyle Street or somewhere. And we we never had an Indian in our life. So he, he, he had lived in Glasgow a while and he, uh, and he ordered anyway. And this this thing came out anyway, looked like something the dog left. <laughs> it wasn't, I mean, I love Indian food now, but that, that was our first, that's my memory of after getting beat by Sociedad was, was, the, was the Indian meal. Um, and then, you know, the, you know, but... You know, we played you. We we had some results. We always could get one result. You know, we played Juve, Liam Brady. I mean, the crowd adored Liam Brady when he was the Celtic crowd. You know, when he was playing, took a bow when he was playing for for Juve, and we beat them one 0 at home. But of course, the beat is away, and um, the uh, one of the one of the unfortunate nights, the not far not Spurs game. And I mean, the, the, we played them off the field in the city ground and, and should have beat them 3 0. And uh, I remember Cluffy and all coming out the crowd. And the, 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 the Celtic game was, was mobbed, you know, twice as many as it should have been and came onto the pitch. The TV people thought it was, it was trouble at first. Then they got word it wasn't, it was just overcrowded. Cluffy came round. And I remember the TV guy saying he's not wearing the most appropriate. Uh, uh, dress. Cluffy had a green, green top on him, you know. And he came over to the crowd, and the crowd, you know, sorry, there was no trouble. Right? But, but I mean, we went back to Glasgow, and again, the way Celtic way, you know, Forest played them, beat them two one easy in Glasgow, you know. Yeah, I remember. Um, that's probably uh, my first Vienna, memory, maybe. Paddy. Paddy, that's probably my first memory of um, watching Celtic. Is that not, Forest game? Not Forest. It was yeah. on. Um, people will remember a great programme on a Wednesday night on the BBC it was called Sports Night and they used to boxing and football and and that would that would have been probably my earliest memory of watching Celtic because it it would be a couple of years before I would go to see them yeah yeah I mean that night I I still have that in a WH so obviously I haven't got a a video period but they're there somewhere but it was a brilliant performance in the city ground, you know. And um, I'm not sure it was Martin O'Neill playing. He might have been gone at that stage. That was about 84, I think, was it? Um, but uh, but it was results like that. Like, you know, the first leg, the UV game, uh, Rapid Vienna, the disaster that was, and, you know, came back. 
and and fairly beat them three 0 But you know some some souls you know threw a battle on, and your man lay down. He was yards away from it, but they appealed. I remember I couldn't believe it when they were to go to Old Trafford to play a third game, and 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 we didn't turn up, you know, and the the supporters turned up in there, and Jesus, maybe forty thousand. It was incredible, but the the team didn't turn up, you know. Um. Uh. You know, where where are we? Eighty five, six. Trying to think. Um, you know, there wasn't really coming into the centenary year. There wasn't much to celebrate. You know, and we had that fantastic year. You know, but not much in Europe. I'm just trying to, if I can. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, sorry. I just have some wee notes here, but well, just before. Uh, yeah, some of them famous teams that I was saying that we could beat every year. It's it's embarrassing to even mention Olympiacos, Wilson, Krakow, SD, Zeku, Innsbruck, Timisura, Neuchatel, you know, um, Zurig, Bordeaux, all right, you know, Croatia, Zagreb, Hamburg, you know, Rapid Vienna were, were, were decent enough teams, you know. Um, but the... I can't remember after Centini following year, maybe Bruce Dortmund, you might remember it, I'm not sure. Um the but I mean we weren't going nowhere, you know, and then you know it was just so I mean honestly when I was younger, after getting beaten Europe, uh, it took me about three days to get over it, you know. Was, yeah, I can, uh, I can, I can hear the frustration. Enough frustration that maybe sad, sadness in your voice about the, you know those, oh, bar, those just, barren years. But it was just every. I mean, this is September. Like this, Jesus, this is September or October, and you're gone or to Europe in the first round or the second round, maybe, and that's it to the following year. And yeah. this was every year, and I mean, I just remember for a few days afterwards, I just. I thought, oh, this is, this is terrible. Yeah, know? Paddy, and I know how much you love um, European football because you had that baptism of success, I suppose, when you started to go in, in the late 60s. But, you, you know, Selig's European history is, is good. There's been barren years. But the gap now has never been as big in Europe between the top European teams playing in the top leagues, many of them backed by billions and billions of pounds and some backed by royal families from, you know, the riches of the Middle East. So, like, we don't really, although we dream, you know, of of being back in the European final, nothing is impossible and we should dream and we should, um, we should be wanting our team to get to the final. But with the financial difference now, um, it's like they talk about a super league. They have a super league because these teams are, are, are super rich and, and no one can compete with them. So, you know, there, there will be, I think Porto was the last team to win the European Cup that you could say were not part of that elite group or not part of them elite elite leagues. But Paddy, I don't see much hope for uh, for any of us outside these these clubs. It, it, Sandy, it's 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 unfortunate, you know, but it's it's probably reality. And I'm not sure. I mean, we had eight seasons in the Champions League 
from 2001. Um, um, you know, when I was 16 under Gorstrack, um, Neil Lennon, who a wee guy I love, you know, and, and um, for everything he went through, and I think the, the abuse he got from so-called Celtic fans was ridiculous. I mean, whatever we think about Neil Lennon, we never got beat 7-0 by Barcelona the way Brendan Rodgers did or 12-1 by Paris Saint-Germain like Brendan Rodgers did as a, a top-class coach who could be that, the that, next that's man. That's over two games. Yeah, over two games. But, I mean, it's lucky we were in the group stages because it wasn't counted like that. But to lose 12 goals, I mean, whereas Neil Lennon could beat Barcelona... On, on our 125th. Um, I mean, whatever happened, I mean, how we went, we were able to compete. We were, never, we were always going to be group stages and maybe the last 16. I would be perfectly, at the moment, uh, it would be a dream. You know, but I mean, if you could, if you could, uh, if you're winning leagues and played in the group stages every year and like Porto, who have more or less a business plan very like we have and they buy the players for half a million from Latin America and they sell them to every club in Europe, top club, nearly as an ex-Porto player and they bring in the 20 men. We have more or less the same business plan but Porto will get into the group stages every year without doubt and probably the last 16. Um, Whatever happened to us in the end years after um you know, what, the mid-2015 or whatever. Uh, I personally, now nah, you can't put it down to one match, but you remember the night we we played Juve at home and and, uh, and I never, I never criticise any players because nobody ever goes out to play bad, but we were expecting to beat Juve and in the very first minute, um, Effie Ambrose let a ball go over his head or something and they scored and they beat us 3-0. And I don't think we've had a result in Europe since. I see the, I see a trajectory from from that day on, that we went from being a regular Champions League team, and we might as well be honest and say now we're a league team. I think that's the reality, you know. But whatever happened in them five years, you know, I had an interesting discussion with, with Danny, a big friend of mine, uh, Muller from Donegal. And um, and he did a bit of work in the finance sector in, in London in the in the eighties and stuff, and and he's very interested and very tuned in about what's happening with the with the Celtic board and the money situation and stuff, you know. And um, you know, it's we had an interesting talk there recently, and he he's not convinced that. Um, I mean, Dermot Desmond has money to compete with anybody, but I know myself, he's not going to spend it in the, in the Scottish League. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a non-runner, you know. And uh, But I mean, you know, Danny was off the opinion that the board were happy enough picking up league titles, an odd cup, you know, it, that they didn't think the, the ambition was there to make us a Champions League team again, you know. No, the the, um, the ambition is certainly not there because we've seen the way the club has been run since probably Brendan Rodgers done his midnight flip. 
we we've definitely been on a on a on a downward spiral and probably our success was uh, has papered over the cracks maybe you know and when it's now the club is now in a bit of a mess paddy but anyway paddy i'm not going to i'm not going to hawk on about because we've done a podcast with Matt um McGlone about the current woes at the club yeah, and the current season. Yeah. But yeah. if just you, you just brought back some memories now when you mentioned um some of the the striking years because the Nakamura free kick against Man United will live long mm-hmm. in my memory. And indeed a performance by a young Darren O'Dea in the San Siro mm-hmm. when it took Kaka an extra think, yeah. t- extra time to break our hearts. So I I, I do believe that Gordon Strachan was able to punch above his way with that team he had. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I was, I was over that night as well. The I was ensconced in the top of that north stand. I mean, on the days before I had uh, some health problems, uh, there's no way I could get up, climb up them. But I mean... When Nakamura scored, I mean, it, it, it was probably, um, you know, could compare it to the night of the Leeds game. I mean, it was just, you know, you know, not been xenophobic or anything, you know, but I mean, you know, beating, beating some of the English elite, you know, there's something, there's something nice about it, you know, and it gives you that extra, um, the, I mean, I, went, I remember walking down the Gallagher gate and I think it was raining and, and cars passing, people walking and everybody was singing so Japanesey, you know, I can remember, you know, and, and we went up to the Thistle Hotel and I think the whole of Donegal was there. And I remember, like, you know, just everybody was there. And Jimmy McDade, the, 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 the TD government minister, was there. And, and Martin McHugh uh, won the All-Ireland with Donegal. You know, everybody was was there. Seemed to be there that night, you know, and uh, and like there was a party to the morning, you know, and and um, it, it was just it, it was one of the end great nights, you know. Yeah, we qualified. Uh, we qualified with a game in hand, and I remember myself and a friend of mine, Brian Cunningham, we went to Copenhagen thinking we were going to get a famous away win, but we didn't. In, in the and it was a great. I mean, how we went. It was a great display. I mean, did Kaka score? Was it in the last couple of minutes of extra time or something? In Milan. In Milan. Yes, was he did. There? Yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, how how we went, how we could go from them, from them displays. I mean, the only like I, 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 I haven't been to many away games um, in Europe, you know. But uh, I was at Seville. I'll bet just the 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 up the stairs afterwards but I mean I was I've been in the Camp Nou three or four times I've been in the, the San Siro like they're, they're two like paradise they're two shrines to football and how we could go I mean now this is only my own personal opinion I blame Brenton Rogers, not the board because we never got defeats we never got defeats in our European history like we're dead under Brandon Rogers. Yeah, Brandon has a philosophy in football, and we can talk about that, Paddy. Um, but at the same time, but, I mean, we, we football, can't. We can't. We sorry, can't sorry, Paddy. I'm going to have to stop you there, right? Because, like, you can't compare the team. The teams now, like the the Brandon Rogers, like, he had a philosophy in football, Paddy. Right? 
And he believed in that, right? And it wasn't successful, right? But, you know, you can't say that domestically Brendan Rodgers wasn't a good manager. Brendan Rodgers brought professionalism to the club. Well, and, a prof- a cat, and so, I, 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 although I was in... Paris that night and for eight minutes we were the best team in Europe when the Valley scored but after that then it was the other 82 minutes that that, that we fell apart but I mean you know you'd nearly think uh, I mean I am expecting him to get either the, the, the job at the Camp Nou or at Old Trafford you know I mean he's that level of a manager but I mean to realise there's a certain way and Neil Lennon knew how to play to get Martin O'Neill how to play like that. Jim McGuinness knew how to play like that for Donegal, who were used to getting beat for 20 years until he came along. There's a certain way you play against the good teams. And it's not, you don't go out going kamikaze. You don't do that. And I mean, to get beat. And then results. And then I know we don't have the same calibre of players now that the level of player has dropped. And uh, but we, you know, I just I believe since then, and and we just we just became a Europa League team, you know. But even uh, even, and, and, even and, looking at the teams in the Europa League, like you know, Bayern Leverkusen oh, no, are second in in the Bundesliga. Oh, sure, I, I know it's only out of six games, but you know you're going to be up against any of the elite leagues are going to have bigger squads, better players. More money, so you know you need you need a bit of luck, uh, and you need but, uh, honestly, honestly, Andy. There's, I know you know everything you're saying is is right, but I mean, we'll need to be very careful that we end up that we're not even a Europa League team, that we end up in this other Mickey Mouse competition they've brought out. The I forget the name of it. There's a third European yeah. tournament. And we could we could very easily the way we're going, we could end up. I mean, not. To, <laughs> I, I just think it's it's probably an unfair analogy. I'm just after seeing a friend sent the points scored uh, or were the finished under par at the at the Ryder Cup, and I give the list of your. Oh, not just golf again, Paddy. I'm, I'm sick listening to you about golf. Bear with me. Bear with me a second. I'd give the list of players, the, the the 12 players. And they all finished, you know, um, you know, Larry was six on. This is their total score, six under, and Ram was 10 under. You know who finished at the bottom? Just, it's, it's, an un, it's not, not a scientific thing, but it's... I'm confused now why this conversation is going, oh, Paddy. Well, uh, Rory finished two under, the worst score. Like Rory's score to me is comparing it to seven 0 against Barca and PSG. It's there's a way to play, the way to play that Shane Larry played, not the way Rory played. Even though he's a he's a genius. Right, Paddy, I'm going anyway. I'm going to leave you there with the golf because I've no interest in golf. I've no interest in the Royal <laughs> Cup. Uh, it's a waste of a good walk. Um, I get invited to all these the golf same. days you, out, and I never go because know, I've never you, held a golf stick in my life. <laughs> Paddy. You know Dermot De- you know Dermot Desmond's a big golfer, you know. Oh my god, Paddy. <laughs> f- f- I, 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 I'm going to start using fellow well, language well, now. And you shouldn't well, even have your phone on because it's it's interfering with the interview. Um but I'll, I'll not hold that against you. The next time I get you into the studio. But Paddy, while I have you, um 
you've wrote a book about your life. Um, can you tell us when we can expect to to read the book? Because it seems to be that COVID has kind of knocked the book back to publishing day. So have we have we a publishing date? Have we a date that we can you know go and buy this book or maybe get you into Not the studio to chat about yeah. it? And yeah, then maybe you'll happen. switch your phone off and people won't be texting you about bloody golf. We're having a launch in, uh, in the Fallons Club in Belfast. We're having a launch in Letterkenny and then down at my home place in Terman. And then um, uh, a launch in Charlie Burns is the main bookshop in, in Galway and at the college. And, um, and a launch over in the left-wing bookshop in the Calton. And maybe at, at, at one of your one of your Celtic AM. Hopefully, Paddy, hopefully, yeah, we'll get you in for a chat. If um, it, uh, the, yeah, I mean, the books, you know, it's, uh, it's titled Armed Struggle to Academia, you know, it's, it's from life in the 70s and conflict in Belfast uh, and, um, you know, the years in the cages. It's about a lot of friends up to forty that were killed over the over the peace. Um, a lot of friends who have died in recent years. Um, the and then you know, moving on and taking redundancy, going back to university in, in Galway, and and then up a teacher man and. Um, you know, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a story. It's a story of life. You know, it's also as much my story. It's as much um, lots of people who I grew up and and some survived and some didn't. You know, and it's their story, and, and it's a story I think that needs to be told. Um, you know, and it's it, it's it's for them as much as. Uh, as uh, as myself putting it together, you know, um, the uh, it's you know it's it's life, you know, it's life. Yeah, Paddy, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, reading. Um, thanks very much for chatting to me today. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you in Glasgow on Thursday um, for another European match and hopefully a famous victory. It's going to be a tough one uh, where the squad is is very thin, bare. Um, a lot of injuries, maybe, and no, not so much quality to come in when when a player does get injured, which is which is disappointing uh, for Ange um, and disappointing for us as fans. But Paddy, listen, um, as I said, thanks very much for joining us, and folks, thanks for watching and listening. And if you would like to hear more about Paddy's story, uh, he was a guest on the Celtic Soul podcast back in episode 20 and 21. And that's available on our podcast platforms and also on Celtic Fanzine TV. And Celtic, no, sorry, it's not available on Celtic Fanzine TV. It's available on CelticFanzine.com. So, Paddy, just a final word to you. Yeah, just, um, I might see you about the Merchant City, maybe around five and on. If you wanted to earlier, um, we're heading down to St Andrews for 18 holes if you're interested. Paddy, there's as much chance of me spending a day in a golf course as there is in an orange lodge. And I'll leave that final word to me then. Good luck, Paddy. Thanks very much. Slam. Slam. Thanks.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.